0: The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Okay, so for those of you who are familiar for those of you who are familiar with these suttas, you know that wait, there's more to these suttas than just these stories. So, for these three particular ones that we're talking about today, this isn't true for every sutta, but for these three, there is both a frame and a story. We just talked about the story for the Aganya Sutta, but there's also a frame. And what is the frame that is like the context? It is the location. Where is the Buddha um, teaching? To whom is he teaching? Is he teaching in response to a question from a particular person? And is the story part of a larger teaching that he is doing? So that is kind of like the frame. In all three of these suttas, the frame starts in the beginning, and the sutta ends with the frame. And the story is right in the middle. So something we're going to talk about today is the story, the frame, and the relationship between the story and the frame in these three suttas. So you can see up here, the story, um, we can talk about why they were put in there. I guess today we're less interested in exactly why they're in there. Perhaps they were... um, inserted later, perhaps they weren't. It's difficult for us to know, and that's not really what we're going to focus on today. It's more just that um, there are these two different aspects. And then I'll say one thing about the Aganya Sutta to help um, tie together the frame and the story. That Aganya has different meanings. This is the Pali word. The One is, it means like best, top, first, chief, supreme, primary. And the second is kind of like primeval, origin, beginnings. So it has these two different uh, meanings. And the different translators choose to translate Agaña Sutta differently for this uh, reason. Depends on you know their um, emphasis. So with that as an introduction, Gil is now going to talk about the frame of the Aganya Sutta. That is, what is the context in which this story that we just explored together, what is the context in which that occurred?
1: So um, in seeing now that the three discourses we're going to look at today have this literary technique of having a frame and a story in the middle uh, makes us think that this is actually a uh, a self-consciously created uh, text. It's literature in a sense, and uh, so the, uh, the historical context of this book, the Long Discourses of the Buddha, and of these three that we're looking at here, is that uh, they are considered by scholars to be fairly late uh, pieces of literature in the canon of the Buddhist discourses. Whether late means late in his lifetime or after his lifetime, we don't know. But there's a fair amount of scholarship that suggests that some of these texts here do not actually come from the time of the Buddha. but might have come from just after he, he passed away. We don't really know. But, um, but the fact that it's such an almost self-consciously created literary technique being used, um, even if it, it's, it's recording, trying to record or trying to uh, tell uh, events that happened in Buddha's life, teachings he did, uh, it's being repackaged in a way that... Um, uh, that's, you know, uh, uh, in a self-conscious way or in a constructed way. And here we see the construction frame uh, and story frame. The last sutta we're going to see today, uh, you'll see that this is even more elaborate, the clear construction of a pattern uh, in it. So I say this because some of you um, uh, who don't know much about these suttas, this background, when you hear someone say, well, the Buddha taught, this is what the Buddha said, it's like this must have been the way it was. They probably had a, a court uh, stenographer who was recording things quickly, and it's a you know literally transcript of what the Buddha said. And therefore, let's you know argue about what the Buddha said. Um, uh, it's this this uh, more useful to see that this is part of the early Buddhist tradition. It has layers. That tradition has layers of teachings, and we're we're looking at a particular historical layer, which is probably not that early in the layer of the of the suttas themselves. So the frame um, and the story, both as Diana was pointing to, um, have uh, uh, pivot a little bit around this word ag- aganya. Uh, aga means highest, and you'll see in a moment that this becomes, what, what what what's at stake in the frame is which of the castes are highest. And um, aganya also means primary or origins, And so, uh, in order to describe what is highest in the caste, the Buddha is using a story about what's primary. You understand? So, this is Is a frame. So, the story begins, the frame begins with there being uh, two Brahmins. Now, remember, the Brahmins often consider themselves to be the highest caste. And these two Brahmins uh, had heard the Buddha's teachings sometime in the past, and they decided to become monks. However, because they were Brahmins, uh, they could not become monks right away. They had to do a, th- a four-month kind of uh, discernment time or probation time to make sure that they were really into it. So these, th- so you're, you're wearing Buddhist monks, you shave your uh, Buddhist robes, you shaved your head during this time, you're kind of like novices, but you're not yet monks. So they're kind of like pseudo-Buddhist monks at this point. And they notice the Buddha is up and about doing his walking meditation, and so they apparently they think you can approach the Buddha when the Buddha is doing walking meditation. Um, uh, so they went up to the Buddha, said hello, and then it said here fell into step with him. Isn't that kind of nice? The Buddha is doing walking meditation; you just join him and kind of go back and forth to doing walking meditation. So, um, the Buddha noticed they were there. So he asked them, he said to them, you two are Brahmins, born and bred. You have gone forth from the household life into homelessness from your Brahmin families. Now, do the Brahmins revile and abuse you? Indeed, they said to the Buddha, the Brahmins revile and abuse us. They don't hold back their usual flood of reproaches. So, you know, so, well, the Buddha said, what kind of reproaches do they fling at you? And they replied, this is what the Brahmins say to us. The Brahmin caste is the highest caste, the Aga class. Other castes are base. The word is hina, like Hinayana. The hina is, is a very derogatory term. The other castes are base. The Brahmin caste is fair. Other castes are dark. The word is actually black. Brahmins are purified. non brahmins are not the Brahmins are the true children of Brahma, the god Brahma. Born from his mouth, born of Brahma, created by Brahma, heirs to Brahma. Remember the, uh, uh, the uh, Rig Veda story I read? Where from the original person, the Brahmins are born from his mouth? Here that story is coming back here, right? Um, and they continue to tell us, our Brahmin uh, relatives keep telling us and you 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 have deserted the highest class and have gone over to the base class of shaveling petty ascetics servants dark fellows born of Brahma's foot I mean the the is the lowest class they were the Brahma's foot right so you guys so you know most of you are not so ca- caste con- conscious but uh, you know, some of you are family conscious, and you just you, you, you go off on these. Actually, at the last retreat I taught at Spirit Rock, there was someone there who was Mormon, and he said uh, he doesn't only his immediate family, his wife and kids, knew he was on the retreat, because he couldn't let anybody else in his Mormon world. He worked at a Mormon university, um, let them know that he was, you know, because that was just kind of not a thing you do if you're it's like. And um, so I know people who, you know, come back to their family and their family's upset. What do you mean you're off doing this Buddhist thing? It's like, so this kind of concern that people have in criticism goes back a long time. So the Brahmins tell these two monks, it is not right, it is not proper for you to mix with such people, those people. This is the way the Brahmins abuse us. So this is, the, this is the issue. So this is the stake. This is the overall kind of context of uh, the sutta has to do with this rivalry or this uh, sense of caste differentiation, and which is a, not a mild thing in that ancient world. And uh, the idea of one caste, the Brahmins were the purest, and meant that you also didn't relate in all kinds of ways with people who were not pure. You didn't touch them. You didn't eat with them. You didn't uh, engage with them. certainly didn't marry them, uh, keeping to your own purity, keeping to your own status. And, um, and, uh, and so here, becoming a Buddhist monk was in some ways stepping outside of your place in society. You're kind of like a, um, becoming a part of the counterculture or the alternative culture or stepping out of the social structure of your time. And uh, still to this day, like if you go to Japan, uh, Japan is a very uh, collectivist culture where the sense of where you fit into the culture and the society is very important. And, um, and when you become a Buddhist monk in Japan, you are stepping out, out of that, your place in society. And it's okay, but it's very hard then to disrobe and return back into society, because you've left it and there's no place for you anymore. Whereas here in America, uh, the sense of you know, having a place, fixed place in society is kind of foreign to us in many ways. I mean, people can, can compared to other countries in the world, even to Europe, the idea of mobility in the United States, you know, people are just, their, mom, their eyes go wide when they see Europeans, some Europeans see how mobile people are in this country and they can just move up and move to the city and take up a new job and with such ease. Um, and uh, so becoming a monastic in the West has a whole different meaning because it does, it's not as a, a strong a level of renunciation as it is in a collectivist society where you're actually literally stepping outside of your social connections. Here, we don't have any social connections, <laughs> really, in that kind, of, that kind of deep way. So we don't have to give up as much. And then if we disrobe in the West, you know, just doesn't, you know no one asks you what you did. And you just, in America, you can kind of start again in some ways. So, so, so then the, Brahma, the Buddha then replies. And his reply is quite uh, powerful, I think. The Buddha doesn't hold back in many of these texts. He's not a quiet, equanimous, Maybe it's quantum is but quiet, accepting, peaceful, withdrawn man, who kind of says, oh, you know, that's nice. Hmm. Then, the Buddha said, the Brahmins have forgotten their ancient tradition when they say that. Be- because we can see Brahmin women, the wives of Brahmins, who menstruate and become pregnant, have babies and give suck, And yet these womb-born Brahmins talk about being born from Brahma's mouth. These Brahmins misrepresent Brahma, tell lies and earn much demerit. So they say they're born from Brahma's mouth, but really they're born from women. And they know that, so they must be lying. Um, And then the Buddha says there are these four castes, the Katyas, the brahmins, and here, uh, Walchi, this translation translates the merchants and the artisans, but I think the artisans is not, is too polite. These are the servants, the menial workers. And any one of them, in any of the castes, can take life, take what is not given, commit sexual misconduct, tell lies, indulge in slander, harsh speech or idle chatter, be, uh, uh, be covetous, covetousness, covetous, <laughs> be greedy, malicious, and have wrong views. Thus such things that are, as are immoral and considered so, blameworthy and considered so, to be avoided and considered so, ways unbefitting uh, uh, an Aryan and considered so, Black with black result, and blamed by the wise, are sometimes be found among each of the castes. So follow that. So doing uh, evil things, bad things, anyone's capable of doing it, no matter where your caste is. So here, and the Buddha brings back this word black. Remember, the the uh, Brahmins called the people sphere and the other people are black. But here, the Buddha. Says that what's makes what, what Buddha calls black is behavior, is behavior that's uh, the, and the behavior is what's called the ten unskillful actions, which we'll rec- we will see again later. And then he says the opposite opposite is true. In each of the forecasts, uh, uh, there are people who do moral things, blameless things, uh, who, um, who who don't kill, don't steal, and do, don't do all these things. Now, since both dark and bright qualities, the unskillful and skillful qualities, uh, which are uh, blamed and praised by the wise, are scattered indiscriminately among the four castes, the wise do not recognize the claim about the Brahmin caste being the highest. So, do you follow that? So, because because of the ethics of how people behave, um, is, the, is the basis upon which to decide which is the highest caste. And because it's equally distributed, unethical behavior is equally distributed everywhere, uh, there's no basis to say that some caste is lower. And because ethical behavior is equally, uh, beha- uh, occurs everywhere, then um, there's no basis to say one's caste is higher than the other. Um, And why is that? Because anyone from the four castes who becomes a monk, an arhat who has destroyed the corruptions, who has lived the holy life, done what had to be done, laid down the burden, reached the highest goal, destroyed the fetter of becoming, and become emancipated through higher knowledge. He is proclaimed supreme by virtue of Dhamma and not the non-Dhamma. So what what he here wants to say is he says there's no basis to make a hierarchical distinction between the forecasts. But the Buddha is still willing to play the hierarchy game. And for the Buddha, uh, from the perspective of the Dhamma, the Dharma, from the perspective of the Dharma, uh, it's the uh, level of realization, spiritual maturity, which counts. And the highest is someone who's an arhat fully awakened and that is the person who um, is supreme and the others the Buddha doesn't want to differentiate that way make sense and then the Buddha gives a little example he says that the a king Pasanadi a king of time at that time um, um, uh, and the Sakyan tribe, Sakyan clan, where the Buddha came from, they were his vassals; they were under his protection. And they will uh, offer the king humble service, salute him, rise, and do him homage and pay him fitting service. Just as the Sakyans pay homage to the king, so the king offers humble servants service to me, the Buddha. Thinking, if the ascetic Gotama is well born, I am ill born. This is the king thinking. If the ascetic Gotama is strong, I am weak. If the ascetic Gotama is pleasant to look at, I am unpleasant. If the ascetic Gotama is influential, I have little influence. Now, it's because of honoring the Dhamma, making much of the Dhamma, esteeming the Dhamma, doing reverent homage to the Dhamma, that King Pasanadi does humble service to the Thagata and pays him fitting service. So to prove that the people arhats have high status in society, because the Buddha made a declarative statement that the Arhats are the supreme, and now to prove that's the case, he, he calls upon the evidence of King Pasanadi. And King Pasanadi, who's the highest person in the uh, kind of the ruling realm, even he will pay homage to the Buddha. So he's willing to play the, the hierarchy game, right? The, who do we pay homage to? Who do we respect? Who do we offer our, our uh, offer our to? Does that follow? So that's the opening of the frame. Um, um, oh, so it, it goes one more paragraph, and then it moves into the story that we told earlier. The Buddha continues. Um, then the Buddha says a poem, and the poem is, Dhamma is the best thing for people in this life and the next as well. So the the Dhamma is what the Buddha wants to champion. Then the Buddha says to these two Brahmins, maybe he's talking to them. um, And in a sense, he's talking to all monks now, all monastics. All of you, though of different birth, name, clan, and family have gone forth from the household life into homelessness. If you are asked who you are, if you are asked who you are, you should reply, we are ascetics, followers of the sakyan, followers of Buddha. He whose faith in the Buddha is settled, rooted, established, solid, unshakable. I say, Uh, who can say, I am a true son of the blessed Lord, born of his mouth, born of Dhamma, created by Dhamma, and heir to the Dhamma. I think I followed that quite right. Uh, Those who have faith in the Thagata, gone forth, they are the ones who can say, I am the true son of the blessed one, born of his mouth, born of the Dhamma, created by Dhamma, and heir to the Dhamma. Why is that? Because the following are terms for the Buddha. The Buddha is the body of the Dharma, is the body of Brahma. The Buddha has become Brahma. So here the Buddha is taking, remember earlier the Brahmin said, the Brahmins, when they're criticizing these two monks, they say the Brahmins are... um, children of the Brahma, born of his mouth, born of Brahma, created by Brahma. And here the Buddha restates those very same terms and says, uh, you are the son or you're the child of the the Buddha, born of his mouth, born of the Dhamma, created the Dhamma, heir to the Dhamma. So he's kind of turning it around. So if you become a monastic, you get reborn in a certain way and and so rather than identifying by your caste or identifying a Brahmin, you get identified by, the, by your relationship to the Buddha, but more so to the Dharma. Because the Buddha himself is defined as the body of the Dhamma. And so the Buddha himself is, is described in relationship to the Dhamma, the Dharma, whatever it might be. So there's a, So the Buddha's teaching here then is kind of redefining the place or defining the place of monastics within the context of Indian society of its time. Follow that? Then, to, go, to do that in greater detail, he tells a story, this creation story. And so the context for this creation story in this sutta is to somehow, one way or the other, support this teaching of the Buddha that um, caste is not the highest way of measuring people in our society. And also perhaps to to make other comments about the whole caste system and where it comes from and to redefine it in his own terms. So here we have an example of the Buddha redefining, using a story uh, to redefine or to define himself or define his story. He's coming, making up a story to to create a new vision Of what our social life is like, whereas the old story that the Brahmins are born from the mouth of Brahma, the warrior caste is born from the arms, the the working class from the legs, and the that base class of servants from their feet. that was a story that was told in India that put people in their place in society, right? And so if you believe that, that uh, or, you, or that was kind of like canonical or religious support for maintaining the division society and the, and the status that they used to have. Make sense? So the Buddha is boldly making up a new story or someone's making up a new story to redefine things to see it in a different way so there's a, a frame, there's, a, there's an end framing as well but now I'd like to hear from you what do you think of this yes Arthur I don't. I don't follow um, the sequence. Yes. Um, the part we read earlier. Yeah. Was a story. In the middle of this. Yeah, that established um, this hierarchical. Whatever. Right. So far, uh, what we've heard, he hasn't said anywhere that this story isn't true. Right. Don't Yeah. Uh, true true and or false? Maybe it's not so interesting in this ancient world. Um, in terms of myths, okay. I. I why then is this, uh, this this story that we've read included in here? Ah, so well, that's a good question. I don't have. I don't know. If, I don't know why someone included or why it was tied together. But we can speculate, and one of the speculations is that the. Uh, uh, the, the idea of a fixed notion of caste that caste that people that belong to a caste because of what happened in the beginning of time where there was a sacrifice of Brahma of this original person and then people became these different castes and that's, that's the way society is set up as kind of primordial create, creative act um, is, not, is not supported by the way the Buddha tells the story and as Kim pointed out I think it was Kim said that um, here the Buddha is content to say that what defines a caste is by behavior. And so uh, it's behavior you do that defines who you are in terms of caste. So in theory then, if you change your behavior, you could enter a new caste. And so, for example, uh, a, um, a Vesa, who, uh, which happens sometimes in ancient India, uh, became a king and then entered into the Katya clan, the noble, no, no, noble clan. And so it makes it functional, it makes it based on behavior and, be, behavior and not inherent in the structure of the universe. So caste is not inherent in the structure of the universe, fixed, this is how it is, but rather it's a little bit more arbitrary, it's based on what we do, it's, and it's conventional, it's just we make up these things, as, as there was a way of defining our society. And so what's interesting is the Buddha doesn't uh, um, uh, abandon the divisions of caste or this kind of tech. It doesn't say, let's stop using caste entirely. It's still willing to see caste but it doesn't see caste as being so fixed. And, and it doesn't ca- carry the value of um, uh, a, a way it doesn't have the value it, it seems like and one of the things it's trying to do here is, that, is to lower the status of the Brahmins. Because if you saw in the story uh, I think the last page of the story, the last people had the last one uh, the listing well, I guess it' uh, go back in the slides. Diana had this wonderful listing here. She, had, she listed Katya's on top. That's the Buddhist way of listing the four. And uh, the Brahmins they didn't like that so much. They put themselves on top. So there's this jockeying of position going on. So the, the first person in the story is the guy called the People's Choice, the first category. And he's the first Katya. The Katyas were first, historically. And then following them came the Brahmins. So the story is kind of uh, you know, the story, some people say, some scholars say, the story is humor. The people are sitting around a campfire telling stories they 're all laughing because they all know these stories that the Brahmins tell themselves they know the stories of the time and here there 's someone just making up these great new stories and look here's the katyas on top it 's the warrior class on top and uh, here they tell here 's the reason why because this is at the, the beginning it was this, this guy was yes um, assuming that there's... Assuming this would be the minority view of of destroying the, this caste system, what would the motivation of these three Brahmins be to to leave that caste? The, the, the ones who were becoming, becoming Buddhist monks. Yes, uh, I think they were. Uh, they, they wanted to become enlightened. They were, they believed in the Buddhist path, and they were off to do the practice. And this is the, this is the way you did it in ancient India. Um, you know, there wasn't really uh, so much a clear sense of of, um, you know, staying as a householder to, you know, go to the inside retreat center and practicing there. So Buddhism would have already been established as, as an attractive alternative to the caste system? I don't know if it was meant to be an alternative to the caste system. like That was the reason it was established. But when the monastic orders and the ascetics, the monastics and ascetics were considered not to belong to the four castes. So, if you join an ascetic order, if you joined a, um, uh, the Buddhist order, then from the Buddhist point of view, caste fell away in importance. So Brahmins, any of the four castes could be Buddhist monastics, and then they dwell together uh, in that without that distinction supposedly playing out. In fact, the distinction that becomes important about hierarchy in the monastic order is seniority. So someone who is an untouchable, who becomes a monk, might have higher status or higher seniority than a Brahmin who was ordained later. And so you're, but you're kind of stepping out of, so you're no no longer behaving and acting and fitting in society according to the caste you used to have. And so one of the most dramatic stories of that, example of that, is of um, Angulimala, the mass murderer, who he killed a lot of people. The king went off to, to catch him. Before the king could catch him, he was ordained as a Buddhist monk and uh, so the, Buddha, the, the, the king then left him alone and actually, I think he bowed to him or offered his, um, you know, his respect to him because now he was a whole new category of being that even his, his background as being a murderer uh, was uh, superseded by his status as a monk. Now that's a Buddhist story. So, you know, maybe a Buddhist, they, they make up all kinds of stories. I don't know if it actually happened that way. Yes, it may be behind you. I saw that earlier. Yeah. So he offers a new order with a, the with a katyas on top. Is that what you mean? Or the new order meaning the monastic order? Yes. The m- monastic order. Yeah. So that's one way of seeing it. The monastic order is a, it, you know, it's a big, 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 it's pretty challenging the idea that you're going to change all of society and how things are set up. So sometimes what people do is, rather than changing society, they, they step out of society and create a new order, right? A counterculture or, and that's one way of looking at the Buddhist, Buddha's efforts.
0: Uh, you talked about these um, different stories as being somewhat humorous. People would sit and laugh about them, presumably because they were a funny Change and that always feels funny to us when you know we have the same kind of humor now. But I'm curious about the actual consequences in this society for people who spoke up with different stories. Would there be just dismissal? Would there be a physical danger to someone? How radical is this?
1: Uh, One theory is that uh, if you, uh, it's safer to uh, say so, make make comments about society uh, in the story than it is to say it directly. And we'll see that with uh, the next uh, that we'll look at, uh, which has to do with a king and, and kingship and how... What, uh, so if you want to criticize, you don't want to criticize a particular king, but if you tell a nice kind of fable about kingship, then you know, you're not criticizing him, but you're making your point. So it's, it's possible this is kind of a... But this is, this is not so uh, polite. I mean, he's Buddha is he's Buddha saying, you, you, those Brahmins lie. <laughs> And you'll he's, he's, he, see, I didn't, we didn't get to the end yet, but uh, he also, he, he, Buddha, see, the Buddha seems, at least in this text, seems to be fine about putting the Katyas, the, the ruling class on the top of the Brahmins. Um, I, uh, so maybe may over this last piece, but, and then so we can finish the sutta. Um, the Buddha uh, says, to, uh, so he tells a story, uh, that ancient myth that we heard, um, and then the Buddha, uh, the outer frame, begins again. Um, he says, "Anybody in any caste who does bad things, evil deeds, will will be reborn in states of loss. Anyone in any caste who does virtuous things, will get born in a good, desti- born in a good destiny." Um, But anyone in any of the castes who is restrained in body, speech, and thought, who has developed the seven factors of awakening, seven wings of awakening, will attain enlightenment in this very life. So the possibility of enlightenment, spiritual freedom is equally available to anyone in any caste. The doors are open for anybody in any caste. The Brahmins kept their religion fairly secret. It wasn't shared. The access to the sacred texts and teachings were very, very closely guarded. And, uh, and that's part of why they had their powers. They were the ones who had access to texts, not other people. The Buddha offered what he had to offer to anyone from any, any caste at all. Whoever of these four castes, as a monk, becomes an arat who has destroyed the corruptions, done what had to be done, laid down the burden, attained the highest goal, he is declared to be chief, aga, highest, among those, them in accordance with dhamma, and not otherwise. So the Bra- at the beginning of the sutta, the brahmins claim that the brahmins are aga are the highest. At the end of the sutta, the Buddha is uh, says that it's the person who is fully enlightened as an arhat, who is aga, who is the highest. And then, uh, the Buddha quotes a god, some god, who apparently was often quoted in the suttas. And the god has this, this little poem. The god says, the katyas, the ruling caste, is best among those who value clan. The person with knowledge and conduct is the best among gods and humans. So if you're gonna look at clans or caste, the ruling class, the aristocrats, they're the best. But even better are those who have knowledge and conduct which here is a code word probably for people who are arhats or fully enlightened. So the Buddha is willing to play the caste game. He's willing to keep the castes intact. He loosens up what it means to be cast by not being fixed by the primordial essence of you know, the, how the universe is, but just by behavior. He doesn't want to say that one, he kind of doesn't want to say that one caste is higher than the other, but he kind of goes along with the idea that Katya's are, his own caste is the higher. But really what's important and what really measures what's the status or the, is, um, is uh, your spiritual attainment, your behavior, your ethics, and your spiritual attainment. So now you want to take the next, finish it.